acknowledge that you are the great God of grace and glory. You are the one who has created the universe, and all the heavens sing your praise. The heavens declare constantly your glory all day long in every place, and they are designed to draw people to you. Even your invisible attributes, we're told in the book of Romans, are on display so that men are without excuse and should respond in gratitude, worship, and praise. So that's what we've done this morning, Lord. We've acknowledged that you are the God of grace, the God of truth, the God of love and redemption. You're the God of glory, and you're the God of spiritual recovery, which is what we need so often. We pray with the psalmist in Psalm 23 that you will lead us in those green pastures and you will restore our souls. For that person who is here this morning, Lord, who doesn't know you, may they come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And for those of us who do, who have wandered like sheep and need to be brought back home, restore our souls. Renew us, refresh us, refocus us for the glory of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Tom Harmon was a great football player at the University of Michigan from 1938 to 1940. They called him Old 98. And he was outstanding, an all-American football player. Some of you who look at that picture say, where's the face mask? Well, back in those days, they didn't have them. And uh, Tom was one of the best players ever to play. The young Tom, old 98, became the famous broadcaster, Tom Harmon, and sports personality well-known until his passing he had a son who was also a famous football player. Mark Harmon played for UCLA and then became the famous actor, Mark Harmon, uh, who many of you perhaps have seen on uh, NCSI. And so the two dads were sports heroes and then TV personalities throughout their life. When Tom was about 10 years old, Something happened to him that he recounts in, uh, in an article that was done by him. That is, the University of Michigan put together a 16-millimeter highlight reel of his dad's 33 touchdowns that he scored at U of N. That is, the highlight reel was only the touchdowns. Every time he touched the ball, he scored. Well, Mark saw that highlight reel. He grew up with the highlight reel, and he was awestruck by his dad's accomplishments but he said, I think it was, I was 10 years old before I knew that my dad had ever been tackled. Think about that. He was probably tackled 30 times a game and scored 33 touchdowns in his career. But the highlights only focused on the great accomplishments. And that gave his son the impression that his dad was superhuman. God doesn't give us a highlight reel of our spiritual heroes. He doesn't just show us their accomplishments and gloss over their defects. In the famous words attributed to Oliver Cromwell, 
when he was being painted for his royal portrait, he said, paint me as I am, warts and all. And that's exactly what God does when he gives us a biography of his spiritual heroes. He paints them, warts and all. Emerging from the pages of Holy Scripture is an interesting character of whom there are only 12 verses. But these 12 verses form a fascinating biography, warts and all. And they also form four distinct stages in his life which correspond with the four stages of your life and my life most of the time. The story begins only a little more than a decade after the death of Jesus Christ. We're somewhere around 44 A.D. And the first reference to this interesting character is in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. Just to give you a little bit of background, in Acts 12, we read that King Herod had arrested James, one of the apostles, the brother of John, sons of Zebedee, and had him killed. And that so pleased the crowd that he arrested the apostle Peter, threw him in prison, put him in chains, with the intention of executing Peter in just a few days. But God miraculously delivered Peter. An angel came, opened up the steel doors of the prison, and Peter walked out free. Thought it was a dream at first, but he went right to the home where the church met. Right to the home where Christians were praying for him. And we pick up the story in verse 12 of Acts 12. When this had dawned on him, that is on Peter, that this was real, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark where many people had gathered and were praying. So we are now introduced in verse 12 to John Mark. John is his Jewish name. Mark is his Roman name. And only about 12 verses tell us his very fascinating and interesting life story. Stage one in the life of John Mark is this period of wonderful promise of amazing potential. He's young, like the graduates that we saw just a moment ago. Brimming with potential, right? A life ahead of them full of wonderful promise. And that was true of John Mark. Notice in verse 12 that his mother's house is where the church meets. His home life is rather interesting. His dad is not mentioned. But the church is regularly worshiping in his house, which means all the apostles, all those wonderful personalities of the early church come in and out of John's life. And that indeed is fascinating. Scholars assess the fact that because many were meeting in the home, that it was a sizable home. And because of that, perhaps Mary was well-to-do. Nothing is mentioned about the dad most likely a Gentile when the mom was a Jew, could he be a deadbeat dad? Like a lot of dads? We don't know. But we do know this from other writings in the Scripture. From 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, Peter calls Mark his son, 
which means that the guy that was released from prison who goes to the house had been there before and at some point in time had led young John Mark to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. He wasn't his biological dad, he was his spiritual dad. And that's what we read often in the scripture. Paul says, Timothy is my son. Peter says, John Mark is my spiritual son. How would you like that on your spiritual resume? I was led to Christ by the Apostle Peter. Well, frankly, it doesn't make any difference. If you're led to Christ, that's the important thing. But he knew Peter and interacted with him, a notable friend. Adding, adding on to this is what we read in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, that Barnabas was a cousin of John Mark, a close relative. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll find out that Barnabas, who's also called the son of consolation or the son of encouragement, is one of the spiritual leaders in the early church and one of the first missionaries who goes out to take the gospel to the Gentiles and was the first one to accept the Apostle Paul as a genuine convert and not be intimidated by him. I tell you, everything about this stage in John Mark's life looks fascinating and wonderful. Did you ever think that God designs human relationships for our spiritual growth? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a person sharpens the countenance of his friend. So the people around you, human relationships, your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, your relatives, these are all designed to help you grow spiritually. You say, but yeah, some of them really irritate me. I know that will help you develop patience. When's the last time you praised God for an irritating relative? So God uses these relationships, and in, in John Mark's life, these wonderful apostles to help him grow. The process is difficult. The people are fascinating. You just need to make sure you follow the right people. You need to make sure that you allow people to sharpen your iron, not dull your spiritual zeal. And that can happen if you follow the wrong people. There is a story told in Dr. Sugden's life. He was the previous pastor of this church. And he and Dr. Warren Worsby, a well-known Bible scholar, had been vacationing in England and they had gone to a cemetery just to look at gravestones, which apparently they both enjoyed doing. And they came to this one gravestone that caused them to stop. And this was the little ditty written on the gravestone. It said, pause, my friend, as you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you shall be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. That's a little eerie, but true. And supposedly, Dr. Sugden said, without missing a beat, to follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. <laughs> Got to make sure you follow the right people so you end up in the right place. And John Mark had a lot of people around him who were great at influencing him. Look at the last verse of chapter 12. So we jump down in Acts 12, 25, and we notice that John Mark is chosen for the missionary team. When 
Barnabas and Saul, there's his cousin, who had already gone on a mission to uh, alleviate some of the poverty among believers. When they had returned from that mission, they returned from Jerusalem, and they took with them John, who's also called Mark. So they see his potential. What is potential? It's the capacity for greatness. It's this latent possibility, something that can be developed, a diamond in the rough, the raw material, but it needs some work. It's like a, like a tulip bulb waiting to blossom in Holland with all the beauty and the fragrance that comes from that wonderful flower. He was highly esteemed and chosen because he had potential. And we have all kinds of young families in this church with great potential, and that excites me. And so in Acts chapter 13, they start the very first missionary journey. We call the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. It starts right here. Barnabas and Saul, as the team is called. Barnabas and Saul are chosen. And look at verse 4. The two of them, Barnabas and Saul, are sent on their way by the Holy Spirit down to Seleucia. And they sail from there to Cyprus, which happens to be the island where Barnabas is from. And that when they arrive at Salamis, the port city, they proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. And John was with them as their helper. So that's what he's doing on the missionary team. He's a helper. The Greek word here is very interesting. It means to be an under rower. Think of those galley slaves who used to row underneath the ship, the main deck of the ship. A servant subservient, attendant, but he was also helping them minister. This word servant is also used of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26. So he is serving and ministering in an amazing way. And the team does great things. Just quickly from verse 6 on, they go through the island and, and a Jewish sorcerer is confronted he, he tries to stop the work of the gospel and becomes blind. And one of the leading politicians of the island comes to faith in Jesus Christ because he hears the word of God, the proconsul Sergius Paulus in verse 7. And John Mark's watching all of this. An unbeliever becomes blind. The leading politician of the island becomes a follower in Christ. And all of this is amazing. And the team is doing so well and outwardly Great promise, but inwardly, a storm is brewing, and it erupts in verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. He leaves. Now, here is stage two. A serious setback. He departs. If he were in the military, you would say he's gone AWOL, absent without leave. He's deserted the team. He's resigned from the work that he's doing. And he becomes a major disappointment. It's a sad situation in his life. Now we ask the question, why in the word world did he leave? And I come up with about five different possibilities. The first is he was homesick. That's one possibility. In fact, Chrysanthem, 
one of the early church fathers and early great evangelical preachers, said he wanted to go back home to mama. He said mother, but you get the idea. If he came from a well-to-do family, maybe that's what happened. Or maybe he was lazy. Missionary work is hard work. I see some of our people from the India team back. That was tough work. It's hard to be a missionary. The Taurus Mountains that they had to scale were some of the hardest uh, areas of terrain to navigate, hardest roads in all of Asia Minor. Maybe he was lazy. This is too hard. Thirdly, maybe he was fearful because those roads are notorious for highway robbers. There's danger in taking the gospel into places where the gospel has never gone before. Or how about this? Reason number five. Maybe he was prejudiced. <laughs> Did you know that prejudice has ruined many a missionary team? You say, what do you mean by prejudice? They were taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And maybe he was just too Jewish to do it. Oh, back in that day, that was really hard for Jews and Gentiles to get together. Or maybe this. He resented the new order of the missionary team. It's fascinating to see that this team was called Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul, until we get into chapter 13, and then the marquee is flipped. And it's Paul and Barnabas the rest of the way. Paul and Barnabas. Paul gets top billing. And remember, there maybe is a little nepotism here because Barnabas is a relative to John Mark. Maybe he doesn't like the new order. I really don't know what the answer is, except this. Whatever it was, it was tragic. And in Acts 15, Paul uses the Greek word apostanta, which means, in English, apostasy. It means that there was a horrible problem. Consequences were severe. John Mark, whatever the initial reason was, was suffering from what you and I often suffer from. Let me just call it an independent spirit. A selfish, stubborn, proud, unsurrendered, independent spirit. Now, when, when we talk about independence related to America, July 4th, think back of the Amer uh, amazing men and women who created our independence in 1776 and afterward. That's a good word, independence. When you talk about being freed from the bondage of sin, independence is a good word. But if you use the word independent to describe your relationship with God, that's tragic. Because we are to be dependent people, right? And it's not my agenda, it's his agenda. And if we're going to be together as a Christian family, if we're going to live together as a church, we can't have 1,400 independent spirits going their own way. Everyone has got to get in lockstep with the Word of God. And it starts with the pastors. Ken Blanchard defined ego like this, edging God out. 
That's what ego means. Edging God out. Because I think my way is better than God's. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and you do not belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body which belongs to him. God made you. God bought you on the cross. And God inhabits you by his spirit. He owns you three times over. And you and I need to live for him and not for each other. Oh, the consequences are bad. Go to chapter 15 in the book of Acts. Now, this is somewhere around 44 A.D. when Mark had left during the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas complete their journey, come back, report to the churches, and then they decide in Acts chapter 15, let's go back and do a second missionary journey. This is about A.D. 50. And we read in verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word. See how they're doing. And Barnabas, verse 37, wanted to take John, who's also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them. There's that word apostasy. He deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And the the uh, disagreement was sharp. They had such a sharp disagreement between them that they parted company. The missionary team was fractured. They split and went their own separate ways. How tragic is that? Many churches... And missionary teams have been split because of the independent spirit. Many husbands and wives have called for divorce because of the independent spirit. This great missionary team who is doing so much good is now fractured. You say, but yeah, now there are two missionary teams. That's a good thing. <laughs> My friend, it's never good when the people of God don't dwell together in unity. Oh, God can overcome our sin, and he does. But don't try to justify it. This was a knockdown, dragout fight. I wish I could have seen this. You know, many people say, when I get to heaven, I want to see this amazing miracle. One of the things I want to see is this fight. Because we're human, and so we're Paul and Barnabas. And that's good because we can learn from heroes with warts. <laughs> we can learn from people who have fallen and then by the grace of God have gotten up again. The Greek word here used for sharp disagreement is a knockdown, drag out fight. Only used one other time and it's the word to provoke. They were irate and livid with one another. And they could not in any way come to some kind of agreement. So they left each other in a hop. And of course Barnabas took his relative and sailed for Cyprus. Again, that's the home island 
where Barnabas is from. And Paul chose Silas and continued the missionary journey. Some people ask me, who do you think was right in all of this? And here's the way I look at it. I think Mark was sincere in wanting to return to the missionary team only because of what we find out later. I think Barnabas was compassionate because he is the son of consolation. But I think Paul was right. Paul was right to say he has shown himself to be unreliable. The book of Proverbs says confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. John Mark was like an NFL draft choice who had all the promise of being a great player but turned into a great bust and couldn't be trusted. You've probably heard of Old Faithful in Yellowstone National Park. Uh, Old Faithful is pretty amazing, discovered in 1870 by the Washburn Expedition. It's named because of its frequent eruptions. And there have been more than a million since 1872. You can predict with about 90% uh, accuracy about when an eruption will take place, and it depends on the previous eruption. The, The mathematical average is 74 minutes between each eruption, but they say Old Faithful is not average. Sometimes the eruptions last only a minute and a half. Sometimes they're five minutes long, and they go all the way up to 180 feet in the air. All the way, over a million times. I saw this thing back in the 1970s, and I was going to figure out how many days from then, 21 times a day. You get the picture. The thing is famous because it's what? Faithful. And the Bible says a faithful person, where can you find them? They're so rare. And that's true in the church. John Mark had proven himself unfaithful. And so stage three in his life is a time for spiritual recovery. It's an interesting stage. It's a time for retooling. My summers in college, I worked at the truck and bus plant in Pontiac, Michigan for GM. My dad was a white-collar worker with GM for over 43 years, and that's how I got the job for the summer. And in the middle of the summer, they would shut down the plant for something they called retooling. They would remake the dyes, change the dyes, fix the dyes, and we would work inventory so we wouldn't lose some of the wages. But it was a time when everything shut down for retooling. Did you know that God sometimes does that to us? He shuts us down for retooling. Hey, what you did was so tragic and so impactful in a negative way that I'm going to put you on the shelf for a while and see if you can recover because the condition you're in right now, you're of no use to me. Now, praise God for the Barnabases who come alongside people who need to be retooled. 
And maybe that's where you are. You blew it in some major way. Maybe it was the independent spirit, and you feel like you're on the shelf. And maybe it's been a long time. Understand this, that period of being retooled is just as important as serving God. In fact, that's how you get back on the horse. That's how you get back in lockstep with God. And it took 10 years, 10 years, we don't hear from John Mark. All the way from 50 A.D. to about 60 A.D., A.T. Robertson said, Mark flickered in a crisis, but his light did not go out. And I don't care however you have fallen, the mark of a righteous person is not that you never fall, it's that when you do fall, you get back up again. And God loves to restore everyone who comes back to him. And so that's where we find Mark after 10 years. And, and the final stage is simply this. It's a, a stage of spiritual prosperity. It's where John Mark now becomes profitable. And we hear him mentioned for the first time in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10. The Apostle Paul had two imprisonments. This is his first imprisonment. And you can turn to Colossians if you want to. Last chapter, book of Colossians, chapter 4. And we read in this portion of Scripture, Paul is mentioning the different people who are with him. And he says, my fellow prisoner is Aristarchus. He sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him if he comes Welcome him. He now emerges as a partner in ministry, a fellow laborer, a comfort to the Apostle Paul. And then add five more years, Paul gets out of prison, is thrown back into prison, and he writes 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy. Last chapter, chapter 4. And again, he's giving an account of those who are with him to the end. He says, only Luke is with me, but get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Some of your translations have the word profitable, 2 Timothy 4.11. He's helpful. He's profitable. He's been proven. He's been retooled. He's been restored. And the guy I said was not worthy to minister, is now useful in ministry. What happened? Well, this word useful, Paul uses in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn there just for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 20. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. Verse 21, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, from these things that defile us, if a man cleanses himself, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy and useful, there it is, same word as chapter 4, verse 11, useful to the master. Chapter 4, verse 11, John Mark is useful to me, Paul says. In chapter 2, useful to the master once again. That's what recovery is all about. 
And God wants to recover you. God wants to use you. You said, you might say, man, I had such potential years ago, but I blew it. God can forgive. He wants to. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and make us useful once again, recovered. Well, you want a highlight reel for John Mark? Here it is. Tradition tells us he founded a church in Alexandria, Egypt, after he was recovered. He was martyred for the faith, like Paul, most likely under the hand of the emperor Nero. Oh yeah, and before he died, he wrote the gospel according to Mark. That's pretty cool. God retooled him to become a writer of God's great grace, the book we just finished studying. And it's all because God is the God of the second chance. Just ask David. Just ask Peter. Just ask John Mark. Just ask most of you. And aren't you glad he's a God of grace? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we have seen in the word of God your great grace toward the undeserving. That's what grace is. Your favor toward those who don't deserve it. And this young man who started out with such great potential had a serious problem. But you restored him, and he recovered, and he became profitable once again. How did it happen? You cleansed him. And by your grace, you brought him once again into the ministry and used him for your glory. Lord, I pray that there'll be Christians all throughout this auditorium this morning who will be saying, Lord, I'm John Mark, I've fallen And I need your grace to get back up. Forgive me of my sin and restore me and use me once again for your glory. So that my life will be lived in such a way that others will see that you do recover the fallen and that you are the God of the second chance. Lord, I love those words that you've given to us in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. You said to Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. I want you to see him working with the clay. And Jeremiah said, I went and I saw him working with the clay, but the pot he was making was marred. And so he made it again. He shaped it into a different bowl, you said as seemed best to him. And Lord, we are marred people. We are frail people. And we need to be made again. Recover us. Renew us. Restore us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There'll be some people down here at the front if you want to talk to someone about your own spiritual condition or pray with them. God bless you. You are dismissed.